Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Hello, everyone. This is Maria Shabla, and welcome to Behind the Warrior. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Patrick Smith, Associate Director of Outreach and Special Operations Programs at Homebase. Homebase is a nonprofit national center of excellence dedicated to healing the invisible wounds of war for veterans, service members, and their families. Their nationally renowned clinicians provide clinical care, wellness, training, and research, and it's all at no cost regardless of service era or discharge status. Welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, I always like to start from the beginning. Um, can you tell us where you were born and a little bit about your upbringing? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born uh, in Rockland, Massachusetts, uh, which is roughly probably about 30 minutes outside of Boston uh, on the, what we call the South Shore, so south of Boston. Uh, I grew up, um, you know, typical kind of suburban middle class upbringing, um, you know, with a brother and sister. Uh, my parents got divorced pretty young and my uh, both sets remarried. So I had two additional sisters, um, which was nice. And uh, just, you know, Grew up like any other kid, I guess, playing sports. I played football and basketball and, um, and wrestled. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of, you know, did a lot of sport activities and, uh, just a lot of stuff kind of outside, you know, not, not what I see my kids doing these days, you know, everything's <laughs> on an iPad or, or a video game. But, uh, know. you know, it was when the street lights came on, you know, it was time to go home, uh, pretty much growing up. I love it. I love that. Well, um, Patrick, you served in the Army for over 20 years and had a very interesting career. Can you tell us what led you to the military and what you consider some of the highlights? Yeah, so it's funny. So um, my mother did 35 years um, in the Army, and uh, my stepfather's a retired colonel. Um, and I had uncles and cousins, and so it was a real military family growing up. Um, yeah. And I I pretty much swore it off up until <laughs> I, had, I had one failed semester at community college and kind of looked in the mirror one day and said, all right, I guess I'm going to do this. Oh, so. Goodness. um yeah, so I joined in um in 1998. So I I was pre 9/11, so I just joined to kind of, you know, get out of get out of Massachusetts, kind of see the world and um and experience some new stuff. And then obviously 9/11 happened and I think everyone that was pre 9/11 it, it changed kind of our career trajectory for yeah. I'd say the rest of our lives. Wow. You know, which was um which was pretty interesting. Um but if I if I had to say, you know, kind of what my highlights of my career, you know, where is 20 years is definitely a highlight. I, I thought when I joined, you, I could have never dreamed of doing 20 years and making a career of it. That just didn't cross my mind at that time. But, you know, it went by really fast. Looking back on it, I'm like, wow, that was 20 years. And that was, that was a really, really quick. Um, but I think, you know, the highlights were just really just kind of being a platoon sergeant. I, I like to tell my wife that that kind of got me ready for fatherhood, you know, because it's really... <laughs> taking care of 30, you know, junior soldiers in the, in the army and, and really like everything from, you know, financial stuff to getting in trouble to making sure they're, you know, kind of on the up and up and they have everything they need. But also, you know, we were in 20 years of war. So, you know, when I remember my senior leaders kind of growing up through the early parts of Iraq and Afghanistan, it really allowed me to kind of give some of my wisdom back to them. Um, that I had gained from deployments and just being able to kind of hopefully set them up for success and keep them safe, you know, always meant a lot to me. Um, I would say probably the biggest highlight of my whole career um, is that I, I had the opportunity for about a year and a half to do um, general officer education at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, um, which is here in, in Boston. And it has a um, component of the war college where, you know, um, Colonel Selects will come before they you know, get promoted to Brigadier General and move on. And uh, a lot of it was disaster preparedness and, and just kind of critical thinking during times of, uh, of like stress and, you know, times of like high anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had the chance to meet, um, Chief Joe Pfeiffer, who, uh, 
who's pretty famous. He's um, the first uh, district chief from the FDNY that went to Tower One before it um, before it collapsed, and um, he, you know, is ended up becoming the the director of terrorism and disaster preparedness for the FDNY. And he really is just he's one of those guys that I, I just look up to, and I was just in awe when I met him. I think a lot of it had to do with you know seeing nine eleven happen and just speaking to him, and he had lost a brother and cousins and you know numerous family members that were firefighters um, and he had saved countless lives by basically setting up the first command structure in the first tower um, and there's actually the video that two French documentary um, guys had done that followed him and you actually see the first plane hit the tower he was at a gas leak uh, and you know he just talks about the processing and, and knowing that he's basically was sending firefighters up upstairs and up 80 floors where they were not going to return but he's like we have to save as many people as we can civilian wise so just that kind of you know selfless service and knowing that it was about the civilian it wasn't about you know they were they had a job to do and they had to do it regardless of what the outcome was um to me just you know there's a picture of me and i'm in my my dress blues with him and um you know it's probably my most one of my most treasured possessions you know it's it's just really i'm really like you talk about heroes and looking up to people and he's just someone that i i really to this day um i'm just in awe of him and, and of what he accomplished that day wow that is amazing and so you ended up meeting him towards the end of your career yeah, so probably about, uh, I was probably in about 12, 13 years at that time. I had just returned from Iraq, so it was kind of a, a respite tour for me just to kind of get off the line um, and just, you know, kind of get some downtime and experience something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had, and they, this, um, they had brought general officers in probably 50 at a time from all over the country. And to go to this, um, it's, you know, crisis and leadership preparedness, basically it's called. And, uh, it was everything from, you know, the chief Pfeiffer who did 9-11 to, um, uh, Special Agent Combs who was at the Pentagon when the Pentagon was hit and Juliet Kayyem who talks about the BP oil spill. And it was just kind of subject matter experts from all over the country that had been involved in, you know, like national level events that whether they were 9-11, you know, the BP oil spill or tornadoes or hurricanes. Uh, and just the, it allowed these general officers to see how they thought and kind of their processing during these and, and just, you know, giving them kind of tools for their toolbox to bring back to their commands to, um, you know, kind of look at different things that they were working on within the military structure. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, so a lot of service members have experienced or are experiencing challenges fitting into the civilian world and then finding meaningful employment after retirement. Um, can you share a story with some of our service members who may be facing upcoming retirement or what led you to home base? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think the, you know, the best advice I got uh, when I was retiring was from a, a sergeant major and he's like, you need to find something new to dedicate your time to. He's like, you need to find something that like kind of, you know, that, that drive that you had in the military to, you know, whether it was lead soldiers, deploy, and, and just that constant, like, I got to get better at something. He's like, you need to find something you're not good at, tackle that. And then become good at it. So for me, that was some, yeah. So, so for me, that was some, something as simple as, is archery. So I was not a hunter. Um, you know, didn't really hunt. I kind of a city kid growing up. And, um, so I took to archery and, uh, and my, my happy place now is in a tree stand in the middle of October where it's just dead silence and all you can hear is, um, you know, squirrels running around. Um, and that really is kind of something I focused my, kind of my energy on. And, and it was just something as little as that advice when I was getting out really, it gave me something to kind of work towards and, and something I can always, if I need to decompress or just kind of relax, I can just always go out in my backyard and shoot arrows. Um, and, and just, I've yet to master it by any means. So I've yet to, to even kill a deer, which is, is the ultimate goal. Um, so I don't know if I'm a very good archer, but, um, but just practicing. And, and it's actually my, my oldest daughter has got into it. So it's just time to spend time with her. It was nice. Um, and, and really, it's just something I kind of focus my, my efforts on to try to get better at a little bit each time, um, you know, after I do that. Uh, and, and the reason I work at home base is, you know, I was, I could have stayed in past 20 years and I, I kind of was fortunate, um, you know, to be just kind of turned like 42 or 41 basically. 
and my kids were still young. And I remember just seeing through countless deployments, all those, you know, everyone that was older than me that was in their 25 and 30 that, you know, I was a single soldier for a lot of my deployments, but to see them, you know, miss graduations and miss high school, you know, going the first day of school or miss kids going to football, high school football games and just, they were missing all these events. And I'm like, I've, you know, I'm pretty happy with what I've accomplished in 20 years, but I think it's time to kind of search something out that's new um, and and kind of move on so that I can, you know, be around my children and, and be there for their soccer games and not miss birthdays. I mean, they still remember a lot of the stuff that I missed, but mm-hmm. um, I'm fortunate enough now where they're, you know, in third and, and going into sixth grade and, and to be able to be kind of active in their lives and still be, you know, around for the big events that I saw a lot of people miss, um, you know, through deployments and just basically serving. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we all can relate to that. It's it's so difficult to be away from your family, especially when they're young, um, and forming all the memories. Um, so, so, and I have to say that's so interesting that he the advice you got was to try something you've never done and master it. That is so intriguing, and you know, I hope uh, our listeners will some of them in that situation take that to heart and maybe try, you know, to master something that they know nothing about. I think that's great advice. Um, so yeah, now, whether it's, you know, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, whether it's going back to, going back to school or, you know, um, you know, I, I just finished my bachelor's degree and it's just really kind of focusing your time on something that gives you that drive that, you know, most of us had the, you know, whether when we were serving and it just really, I think it could put you in a better headspace and just gives you something to focus on and, and really, you know, for better quality of life, basically. I agree. I agree with it. And it's so easy to become complacent when you know, you know, what you do and you know your job. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's great. Um, so I wanted to ask what, after your retirement and after you started archery, what led you to home base? So one of my former bosses uh, is a retired command sergeant major, Bill Davidson, um, who I had worked for for a period of time, uh, was the head of veteran outreach here um, at home base. And, um, you know, he found out I was retiring. We, we had a few talks and, you know, he could kind of, I think he could kind of sense that I still wanted to kind of stay close to the vest as close as I could without still being in the military. And, you know, one thing that home base allows me to do is is still be close to the uniform, but without wearing it. So, you know, it really, I'm still in the community. I'm still seeing, you know, a lot of the, the same, you know, guys that are like-minded that are just like me, uh, and to be able to help them, you know, with some of the struggles that I had, and then to, to in turn kind of give that back to them when they retire or when they're still in, uh, it just allows me to be in the community still and really still be a part of the community, but it, like in a different role and kind of a different aspect. Um, and that's kind of what makes, makes it a unique challenge to me is, is really, you know, making sure that the younger generation that's retiring or that's separating from the military that may have some mental health, you know, issues, traumatic brain injury, whatever it might be, is making sure they know where to go, you know, kind of how to get there and, you know, the, the programs that are available to them to make sure that they can, you know, be a good dad, be a good husband, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. It, it really depends on, you know, that person and just, just making sure they're kind of set up for success moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important because I, you know, I know there's a lot of veterans that, that get out and they kind of lose touch with the community, but, you know, within the EOD community, it's like, you know, we're family for life and, and we always mm-hmm. want to make sure that they feel that, that connection, you know, that connection and having served, um, for their country. And so I, I think that's amazing what you guys are doing. Um, can you tell us exactly what is home base and how are you helping veterans heal from invisible wounds? Yeah, absolutely. So home base is a, um, is a national, you know, nonprofit. Uh, we're part of the Red Sox foundation, uh, which is the benevolent wing of the baseball team. So the owners started this Red Sox foundation. Um, and it's basically, it has couple different benevolent wings. It does, uh, you know, veteran mental health care, which is obviously home-based. It does the Jimmy Fund, which um, does childhood cancer and raises a lot of money for that. They do a scholars program for inner city youth to bring them, um, you know, get them opportunities to go on to higher education. Uh, but our main mission is, you know, dedicated to healing the invisible wounds, 
basically through, you know, world-class clinical care, um, you know, wellness programs that we have here. Uh, Mass General is one of the, is probably the top research hospital in America. So we do a ton of research when it comes to, you know, everything from robotics to uh, mindfulness to the veteran health space. And then just educating uh, people in the community on, you know, what the struggles are mental health-wise with veterans and their families. Um, and, and just really, you know, putting the word out there that there is services available to active duty service members, you know, veterans, families across, you know, the whole country. Even, you know, we've had people come from all over the world uh, to come here and everything we do, you know, we use evidence-based basically, I mean, we call it life-changing and that sometimes sounds like a cliche, but I've seen it work. It's worked for me and it's worked for other folks. Uh, so it really, um, it really, it can be life-changing if, if you really commit yourself to it. Uh, and it's, you know, it's of all, we try to remove all stigmas. So, um, you know, and basically all barriers. So if you, you know, regardless of your ability to pay for the treatment, to get here, so travel, lodging, food, um, you know, we, we provide all that at no cost uh, to the veteran. And it's basically just telling you, like, you know, we have no skin in the game. We, we don't get anything out of it other than, you know, that, that I think, feeling of, you know, well-being and, and knowing we help someone. Uh, you know, we just want, we want veterans and service members to come here to get better and then, you know, go back to whether it's their active duty units or just to go back to the town they're from um, and just be a better version of themselves, basically. That's awesome. So for someone who might be listening to the podcast and, and might be interested in uh, applying to go through this program, what does it look like? You You mentioned that it's, you know, it's at no cost, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but how long is it and what type of therapies might they go through and would they be able to see their family? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things when you come here, so we have a national program, it's called the Intensive Clinical Program, or for short, we call it the ICP. Uh, and it's basically a, a two-week you know, intensive clinical program for both PTSD and TBI. Um, you typically are you're on one or the other track, so you're either on the TBI track or you're on the um, the PTSD track. It's a cohort model, so we have two like an A and B cohort, uh, typically 12 and 12, so 24 patients here in the clinic. Um, you know, you come in on a typically on a Saturday or a Sunday. We'll fly you in from wherever you're coming from, kind of do a little in brief on that Sunday and get a lay of the land, and then the therapy starts kind of with a comprehensive medical eval on that first Monday. Uh, the program itself is, it's really a holistic approach to care. So, you know, it includes everything from individual therapies to group therapies. Um, so you'll do one-on-one with psychiatry. You'll do one-on-one with a psychologist. Uh, but the group therapies also, we've learned that through this two-week program, you know, a lot of folks that have either retired or are still in, you know, that cohort model, model works because that's what you're used to, you know, three to five. So you're used to that team mentality or that platoon mentality. So you kind of all feed off each other. And it puts them in a better headspace, I think, because they see that there's other people out there that have the same, you know, issues going on that they have. Mm-hmm. And it really puts them at ease and allows them to share and, allow, and you know, in the group setting and it allows them to really you know, feel as like a part of a team again, which a lot of, like you said, you lose that community sometimes when you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, it really brings that community back to them. And we found that that is, that that's great for healing. So it, it, you know, and, but that also means, you know, we do resiliency work, you know, you'll do mindfulness, whether it's yoga, Tai Chi, they do fitness. Um, they'll cook meals here with a nutritionist. They'll meet with a nutritionist. Uh, they'll do art therapy, which, um, you know, is, is actually one of our, I would say, you know, not being um, exposed to any art therapy when I was in or even knew it was a thing, honestly, when I was in the military. <laughs> it, it, it's it's funny how, how like, you know, you meet the biggest, baddest, I, I, you know, like the 35-year Navy SEAL who loves art therapy. And it really, it brings out, it's just, it's a way to express yourself that I think maybe we're not used to. Yeah. Um, and it really, it really goes a long way. Um, but we also, you know, uh, 
try to keep them active at night and you know keep the cohorts kind of with that like i said that group mentality we'll do private tours of museums the constitution which is right next to us here in boston which is um you know the oldest still commissioned uh ship in the country um wow. and then we'll do you know yeah we'll do different ex exercises with them just so they can you know they're in boston which is a pretty historical city so allow them to kind of see the city um you know Typically, they'll have the first week will be, um, you know, it'll be just the cohort themselves uh, pre-COVID. So, you know, we understand the family is a huge part of, you know, what we do. And, you know, I use the kind of the adage when I retired, you know, I got all these cool awards and all this, you know, like VA benefits and all this great stuff. But my wife got, you know, like 12 dozen uh, yellow roses and she was like, hey, thanks. You know, we you know, kind of stole your husband for the last 20 years, but thanks for, <laughs> thanks for letting us have him, you know? So they're yeah. often forgotten about, she, she doesn't have a VA she can go to, you know? Yeah. So, um, pre COVID, you know, we would fly the family member in again at no cost on a Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Um, and when we say family member, it could be a spouse. It could be a boyfriend, girlfriend. It could, we're very flexible on the family member. So it could be a best friend. It could be a roommate. Um, you know, we really try to just, just have someone there that, that, you know, can support you in your recovery when you go home or even while you're there, because, you know, for a lot of these uh, guys and girls, it's, it's really, they're downloading a lot of stuff, right. And they haven't done it before. So that first week is really tough. It's, it's physically and, and mentally demanding. Um, so, you know, we bring that family member in on that Wednesday night, they can kind of reconnect that Wednesday night. And then the family member, we get two full days of education, uh, which is done on via zoom right now because of the COVID situation, uh, with our family team. So they'll learn, you know, um, all about the, the different types of therapies they're going through. They'll learn about, um, you know, kind of the, what to look for when it comes to PTSD or TBI. They'll learn about all the psychopharm class, about some of the medications that their veteran or service member might be taking. Uh, and they'll be able to connect with other like-minded family members, you know, to kind of get that group that they may have been used to as well when they were, you know, either on active duty or in the military, you know, community. Um, Typically that weekend, they'll go away and do a, um, uh, like a respite weekend. So they'll go to a horse farm and do some equine therapy. And then we would fly the family member home on Sunday night and the veteran or service member would continue to the second week and then, you know, quote unquote graduate on a Friday. We have a little ceremony, um, you know, and they all have a chance to speak and, and kind of talk about, you know, if, how the two weeks has changed them and, and really, you know, kind of impart words of wisdom on us, which, you know, always makes us feel good to see, you know, those success stories of people like, you know, when I came here, I was in a really, really dark place. I'm now I'm leaving with some hope. Mm -hmm. And that's always pretty, pretty amazing. Um, you know, when they do that, uh, and it's, you know, it, that, group mentality and you know, we have other programs here we have an outpatient clinic here in boston that's that's similar to um you know if, so if, if you're a local veteran you'd come here just like a regular um you know mental health office you would go to in your hometown um to see a therapist once a week or once every other week um and then we have those specialty programs that i know we've spoken about before the, the combat program which is the uh it's a comprehensive brain and health assessment program and it it basically and it, it's an operator specific program so it's open to the special operations community eod um and it's really a head-to-toe comprehensive look and everything from brain health to physical mental um you know um neuroendocrine which is looking to you know have labs drawn and looking at everything like that and it's really you know a, a, a total body workup to see you know this is the baseline this is where you are and this is where you know we would like to see you go and, and we give them, you know, those recommendations on the back end to say, this is what we found, you know, this is what we think would benefit you to get you, you know, to that better headspace or physically or whatever it might be. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, now, you have a personal connection with Home Base and actually went through the program after retiring. What led you to seek help and, and what was your experience like? Yeah, so I, um, you know, uh, we talk about the stigma a lot, and I think we've gotten a lot better with it, um, you know, since whether it's reaching out for help with anxiety, depression, or PTSD, or reaching out for, you know, if you think you have a TBI, and just reaching out for help in general. It's it's not kind of inherent to us. You know, we're, we're really good at packing everything down and kicking the can down the road. Um, and that's basically what I did for about 15 years, you know, through numerous deployments and, and just, you know, whether it was traumatic events or just, you know, just service in general, um, I never really kind of 
assess that through those 15 years. So right around 2015, um, I don't think the world came crashing down around me, but it got to the point where I was, I was having a tough time functioning, um, with, you know, being, for me, it was, it was real heavy anxiety, uh, and just, you know, you, you lose friends and it's just, it's, it takes the total toll on you. Um, you know, for, for a lot of my age group that, you know, was just, it was basically deploy, come home for a year, deploy, come home for a year. And it, that cycle was kind of a vicious cycle forever. Um, and whenever I was deployed, I had no issues, right? I was, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, all pumped up. It was great. You know, I loved to deploy. It was, it was, you know, that sounds crazy, but it was awesome. And, and most of us feel like that. But uh-huh. when you come home, you don't have that kind of adrenaline rush anymore. Um, and you just basically feed into deploying again. Uh, so for me, it, it really came down to, I was, um, it was, you know, kind of a series of three events. I was driving with my, you know, I had always had kind of panic attacks and issues, you know, sometimes that would arise, but never with my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, uh, I was driving them home. We were in bumper to bumper traffic in Boston and, uh, I was sitting in the car and I was in this like HOV lane, they call it, which is like two or more people. You can beat traffic, but we were stuck in this lane. And I remember thinking to myself, I could get out of this car right now, jump over the barrier, run across four lanes of traffic, just like I can't be here right now. Like I I can't be stuck and have no way out. Um, And I remember sitting on my couch that night uh, and just saying to myself, like, I'm cool if I never leave this house again. Like I'm totally fine with that. Like that's where I had kind of gut in my head and but my tiny little guy in the back of my brain was like man you can't do this anymore like you cannot live like this this is just not healthy for you for your wife for your kids um and so i i had a friend that uh had known about the program that i um i trusted i gave her a call because like i said the stigma is still there and um you know i had done a a lot of high value detainee operation stuff so i had a, a top secret clearance with like SCI and the first thing they ask you when you go to military mental health is do you have a security clearance so it kind of right right there is like well do I really want to be here like am they going to take my job away and I didn't want to not deploy or take you know I didn't want to get taken off the line basically Um, and so the one good thing about home base is that you know, it, you come here and it stays here. So it, um, it, it doesn't follow you. And it's, it's just, it's another outlet to, you know, not that the military mental health services don't work, mm-hmm. but it, it gave me that, that peace of mind that I could come get help and that I wouldn't be kind of scrutinized for it, whether I would have been or not, or not it to me, the only thing I could focus on was like losing my job and not being able to like, you know, take my, my guys downrange, and that's really what kind of was in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I reached out for help. I, I came to home base, and um, it, it, you know, I have no qualms about it. It really gave my life back, and and taught me, you know, what I had kind of going on was normal, you know, and I, and I wasn't going crazy, and it, it really gave me the. Um, I would say just kind of like the, the tips and the, the, just the therapies to be able to, you know, really change kind of how my brain functioned and how I viewed certain things. Um, and since that day, you know, in 2015, I came here for about a year. Um, it really, I don't think I'd be where I am today. Um, without this program, it really, it did save my life. You know, I don't say that lightly. Wow. And so you, you went to home base when you were still on active duty then? I was, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I yep. really appreciate you being so candid about your your own experience um, because I know that the stigma is is real, and you know we're trying to overcome that and and let people know that there's ways to get help. And you know, like you said, it's normal. It's normal to have those mm-hmm. types of feelings. So um, I really appreciate that, and and you telling us our sto- your story. Um, now I want to go back to. Um, you know, home base is, is kind of a labor of love for the Boston Red Sox. Um, can mm-hmm. you tell us how it actually began and maybe clear up any misconceptions that veterans might have regarding eligibility for services? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, what makes, uh, I'll talk a little bit of kind of about Mass General and, and the Red Sox Foundation. So, you know, Mass General is one of the top 
academic hospitals in the world. Uh, it has it's a teaching hospital, so we get our faculty in a lot of the faculty that works here at home base, whether it's social workers, psychiatrists, um, you know, so, uh, psychologists, even MDs that work here also teach at the at the um, at the Harvard um, Medical School. So they always have that kind of new blood, and and you know we do a lot of research to find the the best like evidence based treatments, you know, which are basically treatments that have been vetted by their peers or been basically proven to work and they know through anecdotal evidence or just, you know, interviews of people that have gone through these types of therapies, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy, um, you know, accepting and committal therapy. It's just these different therapies that they know have been proven to help lessen the symptoms of, of both mental health and TBI. Um, but the Red Sox themselves um, in 2007, you know, won the World Series uh, and, you know, you do the old go down to, to D.C. And, and meet the president and, you know, present them with a shirt, basically. <laughs> but one thing they wanted to do was to go over to Walter Reed. Um, and this was, you know, probably the height of the, of the war. You right. know, the surge had just happened. Yes. Um, and so they went to Walter Reed. And, and it's funny, I think they stayed, I, I want to say they stayed two hours. They were supposed to stay like 45 minutes. Wow. But it's grown so much now. It's like they stayed like four and a half days and like wouldn't leave without the trophies. Like since I've been here, it's every year it grows a little. Like they stayed six hours. No, they stayed 14 hours. But they stayed a, a, a pretty long time with the trophy and, and got to talking to the docs and talking to the um, to the you know, soldiers, airmen, marines, um, and sailors that were there. And, and, you know, the Walter was pretty forthright. They said, you know, we have the physical wounds. Like we can do the amputees. We can, we can take care of the, those physical wounds, the gunshots, you know, we can, that stuff we have a handle on, right? Cause mm -hmm. that's medicine. But, you know, we really need to help with the invisible ones. Cause at, at the time, you know, and they weren't ready for that almost tidal wave that would hit in like 2010, 11, 12, and, and, you know, really still till now. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, the Red Sox came back. They met with Mass General Hospital and they said, you know, we want to do something about this. And that's really how Homebase was born. I think it was, it started with five or six, uh, folks here in the building. You know, we're up to about 160 now. I think 170 full-time staff members. Um, so it was a tiny little clinic. Um, you know, in 08, 09, that started just an outpatient clinic here in Boston. And then the, the national program started around 15, 16. Uh, and it's really, it's grown to, I think we've seen upwards of 30,000 veterans and service members um, since the inception, since it, it opened its doors. Um, and, and it gives us the ability, you know, here being an academic hospital and, and having, you know, Boston's known for its healthcare to have just world renowned specialists and, and folks that are involved in the program that are tops in their field. Um, and they have one, you know, one mission and that's to, you know, serve the most injured, you know, veteran service members and families. Um, and just to make sure that they're cared for and they have a place they can come, um, you know, to get better and then, and then return to either civilian life or, or back into the service. What a great, what a great story. I love that. Um, and then as far as any misconceptions, um, you, you don't have to be from Boston. You don't have to live in the area, um, to be eligible for services. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, we try to remove all barriers to care. So we're a national program. Um, you know, you don't have to be um, in any type of therapy. You don't have to have a diagnosis to come here. You know, we'll do that through the through screening criteria to get you here. So you don't have to be diagnosed with a TBI or you don't have to be diagnosed with depression, anxiety, PTSD. You can be and still come, obviously, um, but you don't have to have those, um, those different diagnoses. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll help you find care before you come, you know, whether it's psychotherapy or whatever it might be, and then we'll help you with aftercare after you leave. Um, but also, you know, like I said, with all the barriers, we've flown people in from Guam, Japan, Germany, um, I think a, an expatriate from Costa Rica. We've had um, uh, English and, you know, uh, British service members come over with like almost like an exchange program. Um, and, you know, we'll fly, you know, parents in to watch your kids if you need to come for help. We'll put your dog in a kennel. You know, we try to remove everything that where a service member veteran can say no, like, oh, I can't do that because I got, 
you know, I, I got to do this or I got to do that. We try to remove all those excuses so they can say, all right, I have no more excuses. I'll come and get help, right, you know, and, and right. that's really, that's kind of what it comes down to. Uh-huh. Um, and it also includes, you know, when we when we fly you in, like I said, it's it's food, lodging, travel. It's the whole course of therapy while you're here for the two weeks. It's that flight home, and it's even you know if you don't have health insurance, it's finding you um, resources, kind of the pro bono resources on the on the way back to other organizations that provide that care to service members, whether it's a clinic in your local area or it's a telehealth within a state, um, and we'll help you find those resources because it's not. You know, it's not a silver bullet. When you come in for two weeks, you don't go home and everything's great, you know. Mm-hmm. We want you to continue the tips and, and, and the treatments you did here. We want you to continue those on for as long as it takes to, to continue to keep you in that good headspace. Um, so you can always reach back. I mean, we've had people reach back two, three years down the road to say, hey, I'm moving from, you know, Virginia Beach to Montana. Is there anything out there you can help me find? And we'll help them find that. You know, we understand the VA is a huge part of, of veteran mental health care and veteran care in general. So we have a um, kind of a, a, one, a first of its kind. We have a home-based employee that's also a VA employee. They're embedded in the VA. So um, they meet with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really neat. So they meet with them while they're here for the two-week program. And if they need help with, you know, getting appointments or they need help getting medical records, you know, from the VA or they need help go, finding a vet center or just everything from mental health to seeing a podiatrist that um that ombudsman almost can help them while they're here wherever they are in the country find those resources and get them those appointments so that they can you know continue to get better and better and better when they go back home yeah yeah that's amazing i i love it that that they have that connection to the va because i know it can be um sometimes difficult to navigate um, and that's great that they can have somebody on site to help them through whatever whatever they might be going through or or questions they might have about claims. Um, so, do you know how many veterans have gone through home base since it started? Yeah, so roughly, I think it's it's a little over thirty thousand. So we've we basically. You know, that's veteran service members and, and families um, that have received care here, whether through the two-week program, the combat program, um, our outpatient services um, that are local, you know, like the telehealth stuff, or, or we run a lot of group stuff locally, so parenting groups, you know, um, we, we do uh, check-in Fridays where, you know, veterans can come in and just have a piece of pizza and hang out with 20 other veterans and just, you know, just talk. Wow, um, I love that. But it's 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 great. It's good to just you know get in and and you know it's, it's a lot of lying. You know nobody's gonna when, when you get a, twenty veterans together, those stories get bigger and bigger every time. <laughs> but it's 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 great. It's great to you know it's great to one up each other in that room. Um, oh yeah. You know everyone everyone's an Audie Murphy by the time they leave. Um, <laughs> but it's but it's it's for you know single. Single service members or veterans that are here that don't have that community allows them to to have you know hey let me get your phone number maybe we'll we'll get a beer tonight or we'll go out and catch a baseball game you know something like that um, you know we've also um, one of our big pillars is education so we've trained close to um, almost I, I would say worldwide almost eighty thousand uh, clinicians and first responders trained um, basically to recognize and and you know not so much treat the invisible wounds, but when they say a police officer comes onto a scene where they, where there is a veteran there, they know the signs and what to look for, whether it might be PTSD related or mental health. And they know that, okay, he's a veteran. We can get him or her to a, a certain, you know, whether it's the VA or get them to a, a, you know, a treatment program that they need to go to. And it's just, it's basically teaching them about the signs of what they may see, you know, with, as, you know, people they typically first on the scene, um, and be able to have resources for the veterans um, or service members when they're there, and, and know where to direct them. Not just, you know, oh, we really can't help this guy. Let's, you know, move on to the next call. It just it gives them the the ability to kind of, you know, see what they're dealing with when they come onto a scene. That's amazing. That that is, and I had heard um, from somebody I met actually, I think at one of my daughter's softball games, who was a law enforcement. Officer, and she was telling me about um, training she had gone through like that, and that you know it kind of changes the way they handle the situation too. To have that education in mental health, you know, maybe maybe you're going to see signs, and you're not just going to arrest this person. Maybe there's a different right. approach that needs to be taken. 
Yeah, and it's and it's it's huge because you know it's everything from you know whether you say you go to an emergency room, you don't have health insurance, you're a veteran, but you may have VA insurance. You know, you if you you know here at Mass General, when you check in in the emergency room, there's a block that says you're a veteran, and that just pulls up a bunch of services that that they're eligible for. So maybe it is a substance abuse problem, and there is you know substance abuse um, programs within the state or nationally that you know like the Warriors Heart that has the ability to that and focuses on veterans, but it gives that clinician like a list of resources to at least hand the veteran and say, hey, listen, I know you're a veteran. Here's a list of resources that are available to you, you know, to help you, you know, if, if you currently need help. I surely wish that every hospital had that. That's that's really wonderful. That's I think that's our goal. I think that's yeah. what we're working to. You know, Boston does not have, or Massachusetts as a whole doesn't have a huge, you know, active duty community. We have one tiny little Hanscom Air Force base, which is, you know, kind of centrally located. Mm-hmm. But we do have um, a lot of veterans. I mean, the Boston Fire Department. This is a pretty staggering statistic. Hasn't hired a non-veteran since 2003. Wow. Um, so. Yeah, in Massachusetts, there's a you know there's the you take the test and there's a certain uh, civil service list that's just veterans. So mm-hmm. veterans get preference over um, you know a, a, just a regular civilian that would apply for a police department or a fire department. Um, yeah, so it's um, you know we have a lot of veterans, but that also means that veteran is now in the first responder community, mm-hmm. so they know what to look for. Um, you know when they go to a fire, or they go to an a, a EMS call, or they go to a you know is a police officer that gets a call. A lot of them are veterans. And they know, you know, where to send an, a fellow veteran, and they have that, I guess, kind of that, you know, kinship with the person they're speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, that really helps that interaction to get them some help. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, I'm sure you've seen many veterans that leave changed by your program, but <clears throat> can you tell us about one of your favorite success stories that m- maybe stands out to you? I mean, other than myself, I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, no. Um, Perhaps my 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 favorite story I would say is um, we had a uh, a service member come in um, to our program that was um, said he had a lot of TBI symptoms, uh, a lot of balance issues, just kind of all the classic what you would think would be you know a TBI specific kind of eval. Um, came through the program, uh, came up here, and, and the docs just saw something that just didn't seem right. One of our one of our head clinicians was just like, something doesn't seem right to me, and I I want to you know I, I, we got to explore this further. So they sent him in for some imagery. Uh, he got the imaging uh, done, and it came back that he had a, a basically a little smaller than a fist sized tumor wrapped around his brain stem, um, probably in the worst spot you could ever have. Um, you know, ever have a tumor, basically one of those tumors where there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, luckily for him, this, I think there was, there was five surgeons in the whole world that would even attempt to remove this tumor. Um, and two of them were here at Mass General. Uh, so within about a week, they had him admitted. Um, they had him on the operating table. I, I forget, I want to say it was probably over a 14-hour surgery. Um, they removed the tumor completely, um, and he was uh, he returned back about a year later for the two-week program um, to come through as a patient with a complete clean bill of health, uh, completely changed the family dynamic. You know, his wife is like he's, and it was literally the tumor that was doing this. It wasn't it wasn't a traumatic brain injury, though he did have one, but it was the tumor that was causing these behavioral changes. Uh, and she said it's it's literally like having a new man in in the house. It's it's night and day from where he was pre tumor to post tumor, um, and just to see him come come. And I remember I sat with him a few nights because um, he was his wife wasn't here at the time, but he was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So we just you know we didn't want him to be alone. So we the um, you know we have 15 veterans on the outreach team here at home base. So we sat with him you know in eight hour shifts and oh, wow. make sure he wasn't by himself mm-hmm. and. Um, just to have him come back and, and, you know, I remember he, he kind of was seeking out the guys that were with him while he was here for the surgery, uh-huh. just to have him like shake my hand and just see like, you know, like the joy on his face to uh-huh. be like, I'm, I'm back. Thank you so much for what you guys did. Um, you know, is really something it always kind of sticks out to me that, you know, we were able to really, you know, when you say change lives, like we, I think we legitimately changed his, um, for the better. 
That is amazing. Oh my goodness. That almost makes yeah, me want to cry. Great. That's that's a great story. And um, you know, just that you had the the two specialists that could do it there. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Yeah. And we are, you know, the thing that makes, you know, you talk about a grateful nation and we have a lot of doctors here where, you know, healthcare is not, it's not easy to get appointments across the country, right? Yeah. So if, if for something like this where it's, it may take, you know, the average person six, seven, eight months, unfortunately, to get, you know, diagnosed, get the tumor looked at, you know, come up with a game plan and then even remove it, you That's know, so once true. we, once yeah, once we tell, you know, and this happens for a lot of our programs with specialists within the hospital as a whole, once we say, hey, we have a an EOD guy here, we have a Navy SEAL, we have, you know, a soldier that needs this or an airman that needs this, they'll pretty much drop everything. Um, those, those like, you know, world-renowned specialists to say, bring them in tomorrow, we'll take a look at them, we'll, we'll, make, we'll make time. You know, they really, that, you know, the, the service part that the, the service member veteran is given to the country, that means a lot to them. And they really will move heaven and earth to see them in, you know, which is usually a short window while they're here in Boston. Wow. Yeah, that that is truly amazing. Um, so as you are well aware, the EOD community is very familiar with the invisible wounds of PTSD and TBI. Um, so if an EOD tech that's listening or their spouse or a family member um are listening to the podcast, how can they apply for the program? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's really, um, it's kind of this, a few different ways you can do it. So basically, uh, you go to homebase.org, which is, you know, H-O-M-E-B-A-S-E dot org. Um, and then as soon as you come to the website, uh, you know, and you look, um, you basically look, it, it, it brings you to the usual, you know, website you would see all the cool pictures on it there's a tab there that says get care um and it's as easy as clicking on that tab um and you fill out a little blurb about um what you are you know what your name is what state you're from your email you know phone number uh you know and basically whether you're a service member or a veteran or a family member there's tabs to check off on that uh and then there's a little tab um that says you know special operations forces and and i would just ask you know the eod folks that are reaching out that um may want to take advantage of the combat program or even want to come for the two-week program just for, you know, mental health reasons, just to select that tab. Um, like I said, one of the things that makes us unique is, um, you know, we have 15 veterans on the veteran outreach team. So the pers- first person you speak to when you call the clinic or you, um, you that someone reaches out to you from, you know, home base is another veteran. Uh, so, you know, we have all four services, um, you know, multidisciplinary, uh, and basically, you know, we'll talk to them about the process. We'll say, Hey, you know, kind of what are your concerns? You know, what, what's bothering you? You know, what are you, what are you looking to get help for? Uh, and then, you know, you do most of the stuff is screening criteria over the phone or via, um, you know, medical records coming back and forth, uh, and we'll help you with all that. Um, and then once that's done, you know, we look at dates to bring you into Boston for the two week program or the combat program. Um, but it's really, it's as easy easy as just going on homebase.org and, and doing that get care tab. Uh, or you can, um, you can always call the clinic at uh, 617-724-5202 uh, and just say you're, you're looking for care and, uh, you know, we'll put you on the refer in and then either another veteran outreach coordinator or one of our support specialists will, uh, will reach out to you and, and see how we can help. And that goes for family members or, uh, or service members or veterans. Um, you know, like, uh, it, it, you don't have, it's regardless of discharge status. So if for some reason you had a other and honorable or dishonorable discharge status, we will still treat you here at home base. Um, and it, it doesn't, uh, you know, the family member also, which is interesting and is that the family member can be a patient here regardless of the veteran. So the veteran service member doesn't have to be in active care at, at home base. The, you know, mother, father, brother, sister, girlfriend, boyfriend can reach out and say, Hey, I want to get some, you know, like some family groups or I want to do a resilient warrior, which is that mindfulness stress reduction piece, um, that we offer. And, and, you know, the, they're, significant other doesn't have to be physically here in care at, at the uh, at the clinic in order for them to do that um, we also have a, um, a we have a partnership with the tragedy assistance um, which is uh, basically tragedy assistance um, survivors of suicide 
so for family members that um, have um, you know had had a loved one um, complete suicide, we basically have a almost a similar two week program for those um, surviving spouses or family members to come in uh, for those two weeks and get that um, the treatment that that the veterans you know get when they come for their two weeks, um, and really looking at the grief piece and and kind of tackling that as well. Wow, so I, I wasn't even aware of that program, and, and that's amazing because, um, you know, tragically the, the suicide rate has, has been rising, and um, we have a lot of families that are still um, suffering from grief and, and their loss. So that's amazing that, that you're able to help those family members um, with that difficult time. Um, so, so that is amazing. And I just want to say thank you so much for your time, Patrick, and for everything you are doing to help our warriors heal. Um, we have a tradition here on Behind the Warrior um, to end every interview with a couple of questions about your favorite things. So our first question uh, for you is, um, what is your favorite book? My favorite book? So I'm going to geek out here a little bit. So I am... Uh, I'm a bit of a Harry Potter guy, um, <laughs> and it, yeah, I know it sounds strange, but I, I fell in love with the, the the one book I've never been able to put down, and that's The Sorcerer's Stone, which is the first Harry Potter book. Wow. Don't ask me why. Uh, I just I fell in love with it, and I've read, I think I've probably read every single book at least twice. Um, they're so much better than the movies, but uh, yeah, I, I would say the the Sorcerer's Stone is probably my my favorite book. I, I'm going to tell you, I did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> no one does. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite dish to cook at home? My favorite dish to cook at home. I don't know if it's a dish, but um, I am a bit of a cheese connoisseur, so I will eat any type of cheese you put in front of me. I could eat cheese 24 hours a day. <laughs> I just, I love cheese. Um, but I would say Yalsberg cheese is probably my favorite, like, snack food to eat. If I, it isn't even a snack food. I haven't even heard of it, so it's, it's just cheese. <laughs> it's like baby Swiss cheese, kind of. Okay. Yes. And then our, our last favorite question is, what is your favorite song? My favorite song? So I am from Boston, so, um, you know, being a... Pretty much 100% Irish, and having a you know Boston is known to be Irish. U2 um, is my favorite band. Um, I'm a little bit fanatical, as my wife calls me. But uh, <laughs> "Angel of Harlem" by U2 is my uh, my favorite song. Oh, neat! Well, I like U2. I've never heard that song, so I'll have to take a listen. Yes, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Is Not it? gonna lie. Okay, great. Yes. Well, well, thank you again, Patrick. Like I said, for everything you guys that are doing at home base, um, the program sounds amazing, and it definitely sounds like something that is much needed in, in the veteran community and definitely needed in, in our EOD family. So thank you, and, um, and we wish you the best in everything you guys are doing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sharon. And just don't hesitate to reach out. If, if we're not the right place for you, you know, we'll do our best to find, you know, that right fit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you take care and thank you. Thank you, too. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at EODWarriorFoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.